thank you for joining us here at Crossword Church for this week's message. Our desire is to see people's lives transform as they develop an authentic relationship with Jesus. We would like to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So take a moment and visit us online at mycrosswordchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my name is Pastor Vernon Phillip, and we have been sharing a series entitled Visionary, translating crisis into opportunity. And I believe that God is sp specifically speaking to us in this season. My prayer is that as we are listening, as we are engaging, as we are partnering with the Holy Spirit, that we're allowing the word of God to really minister to us. That we're no longer just hearers of the word, but we will become actually doers of the word. I want to thank you for taking time for joining us today. We are excited that you have invited us into your homes. And with that, you have invited the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ into your space, even right now. I just want to let you know that if you had a tough week that, that God sees and he knows, and here's the promise that if your head has been cast down this week, that he will give you joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. That even though sometimes you may not understand fully what's going on and how things are being transpired in your life, that if you can trust God, that you can depend on him, he is trustworthy. And so today we're going to talk about visionary living. We've been talking the last couple of weeks regarding visionary people and today we're going to talk about visionary living i'm going to start with a quote that has literally been one of the bedrocks in my life it comes from a man who has now gone on to be with jesus in glory but he has been very influential and inspirational uh, in my spiritual growth dr miles monroe from the bahamas and dr miles makes this statement and he says the wealthiest place on the planet is not in the Ivory League halls of schools or institutions. It is not in the gated communities of opulence, but it is literally found in the graveyard. I'm gonna let that just kinda sit in your spirit for a second. Because what Dr. Miles is trying to get us to understand that God has made an investment in you and I, that there is treasure on the inside of us, and it is God's intent for us that when we leave this planet that we would have on earth all of the treasure that God has deposited in us and we would have released that in the earth. And so I want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you today. I believe this message will be a little bit different because I want to speak into your spirit. I want to speak into your future today in Jesus name. Amen. So I'm talking about visionary living, and we're going to unpack three priorities uh, for an effective life. Number one, vision. Number two, endurance. Number three, time or time management. And so by way of vision, which would be number one, what we're talking about literally it is the preferred future. It's a mental picture of a preferred future. Uh, there's a man by the name of William Wilberforce uh, 
who is best known for ending slave, the slave trade. And he had a vision, he had a picture, a preferred future, if you will. And this was his picture, uh, that every enslaved person would be free. Uh, he had a basis for that vision, and that basis was the, God's truth. And he had a passion that motivated him and motivated other, others, and that passion was God's grace. And so in the man, William Wilberforce, you had, you had a joining of God's grace and God's truth. And that reminds me of Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth. And I believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ must be known in the, today's culture, in today's society, as of one that would dispense both grace and truth. I'm also thinking of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And this is what he said. He said, I have a dream that my four children one day will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He continues and he says this, where little black boys and little black girls can join hands with little white boys and little white girls. I believe that that was a vision that God gave him. See, his preferred future was this, justice and freedom for all. In a society where there is injustice built upon institutions uh, of slavery and systematic racism. So here's my question as I begin to lay this before you, visionary living. Uh, do you have a preferred future in mind? Do you have a mental picture of a preferred future for your life? Do you have it for your family? Do you have it for your church? Do you have it for your community? Do you have it for your nation? Do you have a vision? This is what Pastor Andy Stanley says from North Point Church. North Point Community Church. Uh, Pastor Andy, Andy Stanley says this. He says, everyone ends, uh, ends up somewhere in life. Few people end up somewhere on purpose. Did you get that? Every, everyone ends up somewhere in life, but only a few people end up somewhere on purpose. Will you end up somewhere on purpose or will you simply meander through life and allow the currents of crisis to take you wherever they desire if there's one key leadership lesson about Jesus it's this that Jesus had a vision for his life I'm going somewhere Jesus had a vision that he shared regularly that he demonstrated regularly to his disciples if you were to follow Jesus, it wouldn't take you very long to recognize his priorities because he was a man on vision. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4 today and I'm going to make two observations regarding this text. And so we see Jesus' ministry train is on the way. It has left the station. Uh, Jesus is beginning his three-year ministry plan in this journey and immediately he faces two 
common guardrails or derailers. He encounters two derailers at the forefront of his ministry. And so it is with us when we begin to put our mind to do something, when we begin to put our resources and our hands and our hearts to do something, they will always be derailers and detractors. Oh my God. I trust that you can discern those that have come into your life to distract you or to derail you. Derailer number one, proficiency in in an area of non-priority. I'm going to say that again. Proficiency in an area of non-priority. You might be asking, Pastor, what does that really mean? Let me show you. We're going to read in Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 40 and 41. It goes, at sunset, the people b- brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because he knew that he was the Messiah. This is really interesting. Jesus is doing ministry work. And you may ask the question, well, why would Jesus silence the person that was speaking and declaring that he was the son of God? Here's the thing. Jesus understands that when you're doing your work and people begins to see your capability and your giftedness, it's very easy for them to start putting the spotlight on you. Here's the thing. Jesus understands that when you're in ministry and people begin to see your giftedness, when people begin to see your proficiency, it's very easy and likely for them to want to put the spotlight on you, to have the focus be all about you. And here Jesus is operating in in wisdom and he is silencing the voices because he does not want the voices, he does not want the attention on him. He wants the attention on the Father. So we see Jesus is 100% effective at healing people. And you know, that's a good thing. But here's the thing. That was not Jesus' only purpose. That was not his vision. Jesus would not allow a good thing to supersede the great thing. I'm going to say it again. He did not allow the good thing to supersede the great thing. And here is the truth, that a part of being a mature leader, a part of maturing in leadership, is that when we are walking, that in our proficiency, that we will always make sure that we are focusing on our priority. I'm going to say that again, that when we are walking in our proficiency, and people are seeing our proficiency, it is vitally important that we focus on our priority. Did you ever wonder how hard it might have been for Jesus to walk away from the crowds? I mean, they were sick. I mean, they were demon-possessed. They were needy people. And here was the thing, that if you don't have a clear vision of your future, a clear vision of your purpose, 
that you can get locked into places and spaces where you're operating in proficiency, but you're not operating in your vision or in your priorities. Thank you, Jesus. So here's the thing I want you to know. Good is the enemy of great. Did you know that? Good. Good is good, but it is the enemy of great. Because what tends to happen is that we settle for good. We never press into great. And here's the thing. We serve a great God, and God has invested a great investment in us. But we cannot afford to settle for what's good. So we're going to see Jesus' vision and Jesus' priority. Because this is very important. Jesus is giving us a model here. Uh, in Jesus' inaugural public message, this is what he declared. I'm talking about his public message. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, he says this. Repent. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. Did you get that? He comes on the scene in the midst of a religious structure, in the midst of a Roman occupation, and he tells the people this. Repent. Change your mind. Change your focus. Change your mindset. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven has arrived. It means the kingdom, the culture of heaven has arrived. See, his compass is set. He's about to minister now. His compass is set in proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. You can also find this in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. His compass is set on destroying the works of the devil. You can find that in 1 John 3, 8. This was truly his purpose. You see, healing people, casting out devils, all of those things were a part of his purpose. Jesus is ministering and he cannot afford to let anything or anyone derail his ministry. And I'm telling you, today, if you're serving God, as you're serving God, you, has, you have to be diligent. You have to be Focus. You have to make sure that you do not allow anything or anyone to derail your pursuit of God's vision for your life. So you can get derailed from your destiny by pursuing a lot of different things. You know, you start pursuing passion over priority. You start pursuing uh, distractions over discipline. Compromise over commitment. Obedience over discernment, discouragement over di diligence, and even pride over purpose. What happens when we start getting sidetracked is, is that we start losing time, and then we start losing focus. And finally, we start losing and missing out on the priority for our lives. So derail number two, or derailment number two. Following the voice of the people. This is a big one. So derailment number one is, is simply that we have to 
be willing to not sacrifice proficiency for priority. Number two is this, following the voice of the people. Verse number 42, Luke chapter 4, it says, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. So here we see uh, a scenario of what's going on. Jesus rose early in the morning and come to find out the people found out where Jesus was. If you were to read a few scriptures up, we found out that Jesus was at Peter's house and he had healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so the people assembled themselves together and gathered themselves together. And notice the magnetic words in the text. They sought him. Uh, they came to him. They would not keep, they would not allow him to leave. They would have him, they would have kept him. Now, you got to understand, this is a young man. He's in his 30s, and he's getting all of this notoriety. He's getting all of this attention. I can guarantee you that if Jesus was not grounded, that it's very easy for us to be carried away by the voices of the, the assurance and the adulation of the crowd. It's very easy that when we're young and, and, and we, we're starting to become successful and people are praising us and people are, are trying to lift us up. It's very easy for pride to enter in. It's very easy for us to start feeling as though that we are the stuff. That it is all because of our doing. See, everyone wanted to be where Jesus was. And we live in a day, and this is true for us, because each one of us, we want to be liked, don't we? we? We want to be appreciated. We want to feel valued. But Jesus knew that he could not follow the voices. I could hear some of the voices now. Jesus, Jesus, you can't leave. People are just now beginning to come to you. They need, you need to build up your brand you need to build up your, uh, your, your platform. You need to allow your ministry to really start taking off. I can imagine they're, they're saying things like, Jesus, you can't leave right now. Don't you know that you're trending? <laughs> Don't you know that everybody uh, have gotten a hold of your Twitter handle and you're really, really resonating with the crowd? How about this? Jesus, you can't leave because there's still so many unmet needs. We're talking about visionary living. Jesus had another voice that he was following. Jesus had another voice that he was listening to. Jesus' purpose was not everyone's purpose. And I want you to understand that your purpose and your vision is not everyone's purpose and vision. And this is so crucial for leadership. We have to understand what is our portion, what is our calling, what it is that God has sent us here to do. Do you ever wonder what caused Jesus to not become derailed? We live in a day when seemingly so many leaders are being derailed by so many things. What do you think the answer is? I think you can find it in verse 
42, part A. See, Jesus paid attention to the important indicator. Here it is. Time alone with God. The Bible says Jesus would rise early in the morning. He would stay up late at night ministering to the needs of the people. But he understood that in order for him to do that work, he needed to do the greater work. Here is the greater work, spending time with God. I believe that this call has been so minimized in many Christians' life in that what we start doing is operating off of our giftedness. We start operating off of our proficiencies and we don't realize that what we need to do is get away with God and begin to draw from him. See, here's the thing. Spending time with God is not the only thing that shapes your vision, but it is the primary thing. It's the first thing. Paying attention to God helps you to avoid derailment in your life. Number two. So number one was vision. Number two is endurance. Endurance. I want to tell you a little story. In 1968, the country of Tanzania selected John Stephen Aquari to represent them in the Mexico City Olympics. You may have heard this story. In 1968, the country of Tanzania selected John Stephen Aquari to represent them in the Mexico City Olympics. Now, during the race, Aquari stumbled and he fell, severely injuring his knee and his ankle. And long after, the winner had crossed the finish line, and with only a few thousand spectators left in the stadium, a police siren went off, alerting everyone that a final competitor was about to enter the stadium. It was a quarry. After he finished the race, a, a reporter asked him, why did you continue the race after you injured yourself so badly? Here is his response. My country sent me, did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Hmm. Here's the question. Everyone is really, really good at starting, aren't we? I have some unfinished projects that even in preaching this message, the Holy Spirit is convicting me about. Starting is very much easier than finishing. There are, many sev there are several biblical texts of great examples of people that were finishers. People that were finishers. I'm going to start with Moses. Why? Because Moses is very well known. He has a lot of notoriety. Uh, imagine being enlisted by God and your task was Moses' task to deliver Israel, the Israelites, from slavery. Now, it will take a minimum of 40 years to make this happen. You will be leading some of the most difficult, whining, compromising, demanding, 
people who will consistently challenge your leadership. At one point, your, your family will rise up against you to challenge your leadership. The people you are going to lead, they will suggest that they find a better leader than you. Someone that would take them back to Egypt so that they can retain the title as slaves. <laughs> so here's the thing with Moses. This task was spiritually emotionally and physically difficult. It was so difficult that Moses actually had a meltdown. And as a result of this, Moses made some decisions that prevented him from crossing into the promised land. However, however, the primary focus was this, deliver them from slavery and bring them into the promised land. And Moses was able to bring them to the point of entering the promised land. I believe this picture of Moses shows us a great amount of perseverance. You know, there was such a challenge in this task that at some point, God had to send Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, to give him some counsel because he was literally trying to counsel millions of people by himself, burning him out. Moses completed his task. You can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Another person I want to give you an example of is Jesus. Jesus is the new and the better Moses. Uh, Jesus is the Moses, um, the, the hybrid. He's the Moses on steroid, if you will. Jesus also comes and he's going to lead the same kinds of people. He's going to lead an exodus. He's bringing people out of the darkness of sin, their own sin, into the glorious freedom of the gospel. He's leading people into the light. Uh, Jesus leads the same difficult, whining, complaining people. He's leading people like you and me. People who would rather live in slavery rather than freedom. Listen, in Jesus' ministry, his family rejected him. Even his closest friends that vowed they would never leave him, they forsook him. Eventually, the people that he came to save plotted against him and put him to death. But here's the thing, as it turns out with Jesus... This did not take God by surprise. This was a part of the plan. You see, Jesus was not a victim, but Jesus was a victorious savior. See, he actually agreed to come die for you and I. And one of the scriptures that stands out in John chapter 19, verse 30, we see the last recording words. And Jesus saying this. It is finished. We're talking about endurance. Endurance is not about you starting something. It's about you enduring to the end and finishing what you set out to do. I believe that there's so many people that have started things and they've started ministries, they've started businesses, they've started relationships, they've started so many things and when the difficulties come, when life is going to try the thing that you started out, many people will end and 
do not finish what they started. What Jesus finished was this, bringing us from death into life, and not just life, but into eternal life. I have one more example for you. I have to talk about the Apostle Paul. We see the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. I love this language. And the time for my departure is near. Verse 7, listen, listen. I have fought the fight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. And I have kept the faith. How are you doing with fighting the good fight? How are you doing with regards to pursuing so that you can finish the race? How are you doing? Are you keeping the faith? Or do you find that during this season that your faith have been wavering? Do you find that during this season that you feel as though you don't have any answers and so your faith is literally now seemingly is on trial? Paul was not led astray by distractions, by notoriety, by hardships. Nor did he allow his love for the Lord grow cold. Why is this important? Because sometimes when we're going through difficulties, it's very easy for our love for God to begin to wane. The fire seemingly begin to dwindle out. It's like that passion that we used to have. It starts being diverted someplace else in the midst of trials and persecution. And we are wondering if the same God that's called, that called us out of darkness into light, is it the same God that I'm serving? Because obviously, he cannot understand what I'm dealing with. And your faith begins to wane. Your faith begins to waver back and forth in the midst of difficulties and adversities. Listen, Paul, he endured to the end. Paul finished his course. I want you to know that you can finish your course. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. It doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter that you do not understand. Listen, if you do not understand, then lean upon the understanding of your heavenly father. Allow the spirit of God to give you the spirit of knowledge and spiritual understanding so that you can begin to discern by the spirit of God. I want to help us today, and I want to talk about biblical help for enduring and finishing well. I think there's no greater scripture found that gives us this picture than 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and through 27. Paul says, listen, you do not, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize runners run in such a way that you get the prize as to get the prize everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training I could stop right there <laughs> let me continue 
They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Hey, listen, when you're starting to wonder, is it really worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it worth it to die to your flesh? Is it worth it to put your will in subjection to his will? Is it worth it to surrender? I want to tell you our prize is not a perishable prize. Our prize is not a corruptible prize. Our prize is an eternal prize. Therefore, I do not run, Paul says, like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating against the ear. No, I beat my body and I make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, I'm going to make sure that I am beating my flesh. I'm going to make sure that I'm doing the necessary diligent things with regards to my spiritual walk so that I'm not proclaiming something to people and in private, I'm losing the spiritual fight. In private, if people could only understand what's really going on in my mind that's tossing me to and fro. And so we have to posture ourselves and remind ourselves that in this spiritual walk, we are not fighting against the wind. We have to make sure that we understand who we are fighting against and what we are fighting for. Here's a thought that jumps out in this scripture. I want to bring the, to, to light this word determination. I just want, to know, want you to know that if you're going to live for Jesus, if you're going to be light in the midst of darkness, if you're going to uh, be one that would be an ambassador in the culture, you must have determination. This is what Paul says. He says, run in such a way to get the prize. There's going to be things that's going to be challenging you and opposing you from reaching the prize. What is the prize in your mind today? If I was to ask you the question, what would be the prize? Would you say something like, well, if I can just get XYZ, I will feel as though I have won. And what would fill in that blank? If I just got my family right, if I just got more cash flow, if I got, just got a better health. What, what is it? What is it that would make you know that you have won the prize? See, as followers of Jesus, we got to make sure that our eyes are on the real prize and not on the prize that the world puts before our eyes. I'm going to say it again. There are many prizes that are before our eyes. And we have to make sure that our eyes, our gaze is on the right prize. What is that? Glorifying God in our lives and running, doing his will towards glory. You, you get that? Here's the prize. We want to glorify God with our lives by doing his will as we race towards glory. Another word I want to put before you is this word discipline. Discipline. 
Paul says, goes into strict training. Anyone that's running for a race, they go into strict training. How is your training life going? <laughs> How are you doing? How are you doing? Uh, you know, a boxer would normally have to get up really early in the morning. You, you've probably seen some of the Rocky movies. I don't know how many eggs you're popping, but Rocky would pop down six to 12 eggs, right? What is your training looking like in regards to your spiritual walk? This is what Joe Frazier says. He says, you can map, map out a fight plan or a life plan. But when the action starts, it may go a way that you did not plan. And you're down to your reflexes. That means that you're down to your preparation. Do you understand what George is saying? He's saying that you can train. You can train for the fight. You can train for life. But there's going to be some curveballs. There's going to be some punches that's going to come that you did not calculate. You did not forecast. And what's going to happen is you have to now depend on your reflexes. You have to depend on your training. See, discipline is what you do in the dark hours of the morning when nobody is watching you. And here's the thing. If you've been cheating, it will reveal itself when the bright lights of opposition begin to shine upon you. What is your spiritual disciplines looking like? Another one I want to I put before you is direction. Direction. Paul says, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. Do you know where you're going? <laughs> do you know if you're really on track or you're just kind of wondering what's going on? Do you have a definite direction for your life? Has God spoken to you in private regarding the vision for your life? Hmm. Let me give you one more. Denial. Denial. Paul says this. I beat my body and make it a slave. That's a hard word today. What is he saying? I make it submit. I make it surrender to God. I beat my flesh into subjection to my spirit. Listen, here's one truth that we need to know about our flesh. It will not die on its own. It will not throw its hands up in the air and say, I surrender. We have to literally take command and crucify our flesh. You know, the children of Israel in, with Moses, there was a connection with Egypt that they never, a whole generation never got delivered from. And as the, it became difficult, the first thing they defaulted was, take us back to slavery. Take us back. Why? Because they refused to deny their flesh. They refused to, to yield to the words of their leader. I hope and pray that this message is ministering to your heart. 
I'm going to go a little quick here. And I'm going to deal with some things because now I'm going to talk about time. I know you were wondering, is he going to get to time? I'm going to get to time. Because <laughs> all we have is time, right? So I'm going to talk about maximizing your time. I'm going to make some statements. You can take notes if you want. But the passing of time is an opportunity to redefine your priorities. It's an opportunity to redefine your purpose. It's an opportunity to redefine your life's vision, the passing of time. It's an opportunity to redefine worthwhile goals. And it's an opportunity to, re to resolve the past and pursue a brand new future. I want to talk about the principle of time. And I thank God for Dr. Miles Monroe that has helped me to understand some of these principles that I'm sharing right now. Time is life. Life is defined as time. Life is measured in time. Life is determined by time. Life is lived out in time. Life is qualified by time. The passing of your time is literally the passing of your life. Life stops when time stops. Death is life leaving time. Are you tracking with this? Time is temporary. Life is eternal. Listen, if we don't understand time, what we will do is we will squander it. This is what the psalmist says in Psalms 39 verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Why is this scripture important? Because he took the time to seek the Lord. Because a lot of times when we are fearful, what we don't do is take the time to seek the Lord. And therefore, we become consumed by the very thing that we're fearful of. Psalms 90 verse 12 says this. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Ecclesiastes 8 6 says this. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. There is a proper time and procedure for every, for every matter. <laughs> time is the only commodity on earth equally dispensed among every human being. It reveals how we govern our thoughts our wills, our emotions, our attitudes, actions, and our appetites. Time is. I'm going to talk about how we spend our time real quick. We said time is the currency of life. And here is the thing. The time that you spend today, you can't get it back tomorrow. But in the kingdom of God, we have the opportunity to do something very unique. It's called redeeming your time. You can redeem your time when you give your life to God and then God then infuses you with his word and his spirit and then what would have take you, taken you five years to accomplish, God can allow you to accomplish it in one year. That's called redeeming your time. 
Time is like all currency. It should be spent wisely. You become whatever you spent you spend your time buying. Did you get that? You become whatever you spend your time buying. It's important that we learn to not abuse our time. Hey, listen, if you're going to have a visionary life, if you're going to endure and have a life of vision, you have to manage your life and manage your time. Time can be stolen. It can be abused. It can be lost. It can be squandered. It can be appreciated or depreciated. It can be devalued or even revalued. I have so much more that I want to say, but here's the thing. There's one thing that I want to leave with you, that if you're going to engage in visionary living, it is impossible for you to do so without vision, without endurance, and without the management, the maximization, or the maximizing of your time. We are in vital days, and you and I do not have the time to waste time. I wish I could talk to you about how the social architects have invaded not only your life, uh, invaded your home, and have stolen your time through entertainment. I don't have the time <laughs> to get into that. But God is calling you to live a visionary life. And I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to uh, challenge you. I want you to know that the life that God has for you is more than what you have been living. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray. Father, my heart is just so full. There's so much more that I want to say. But God, I pray for everyone that's listening today. And that, Father, as we reflect and we evaluate our lives and we ask deep and probing questions, are we living visionary lives? That, Father, that we would meet you in the secret place of prayer and that we would allow you by your word and by your spirit to begin to show us the areas that have been distractions and that, Lord God, that we would allow you to show us the derailers that are in our lives. Father, I pray for everyone today that you'd minister to them, that you'd bless them in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen and amen. Hey, listen, I also want to pray if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to hear and learn more about him, I just want to lead you into a prayer that will bring you into uh, a right relationship with God. Just pray these, these words with me. Father, I thank you that I can come to know you personally. I thank you for the gift of salvation. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And that he rose for my justification. I thank you today. I give you my life. And I thank you for saving me and for making me whole. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. God bless you. We love you. We're praying for you. And go live a visionary life.